We are on the phone with Alfonso Majorana and here in the studio with David Renke. Dave is an executive producer and animator for the film Rumble, and Alfonso is co-director, co-writer, and cinematographer of the film, which is showing this Friday at the Panada Theater, presented free of charge by your community radio station, KRFY, uh, at 7 o'clock p.m. this Friday. And... Uh, to kind of start off the conversation for those who I think I think we've been talking about the the movie already probably during this hour and I think people know a little bit of what to expect but uh, for some background how did the movie the Rumble the Indians who rock the world get its start where did the idea come from and were you well, were you a part I would of that say, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, the origins of, uh, of Rumble and the idea, they sort of extend from the um, National Museum of the American Indian Museum project Up Where We Belong, which was initiated by uh, Six Nations' Tim Johnson and Chris Turner, who basically utilized the, uh, the great book by um, another uh, fellow Six Nations, Brian Wright McLeod, author, uh, and the book is entitled The Encyclopedia of Native Music. And that basically is the pillar of that project. And with that project, um, you know, over the, um, when it was at the, uh, it was, it was, uh, the exhibit was at the Smithsonian. And, and at that time, Tim Johnson, um, uh, you know, um, and Chris Turner put together an incredible, um, an incredible exhibit. And, I, and, and then it found, it found its way to, um, a Montreal, um, uh, film company, documentary film company, indigenous uh, film company that, that's run by co-founders Ernest Webb and Catherine Babridge, who later on uh, became, uh, you know, co-director with me and co-writer, but she's also one of the executive producers of, uh, of that film. So it's sort of, I mean, the, the, the creator, I say, I've always said, you know, um, is Brian Wright McLeod. Without that book that he... Uh, that he penned, which is, you know, called the, the Encyclopedia of Native Music, um, there wouldn't be this thesis, this whole subject matter. And, uh, and I remember when, when I read the book, it was part of the, you know, the research that I had to do. And, and, and we, we all had, like uh, myself and, and Catherine, we, we read the book. And, we, and, and you know, the, the beginning of putting together a, a script, a scenario, uh, stems from that book. It, it, you know, it is the key... Um, the key history and the key element of that that sort of you know kickstarted the, the film and it, and of course the Smithsonian was a huge part of it and Tim Johnson who's also one of the executive producers of Rumble is is one of the major key uh, figures in, in the film. Um, where did you come in uh, in the process, Alfonso? So at the time when the exhibit was um, was uh, at the Smithsonian, one of the producers. Um, called me and they knew I was, um, you know, a, a local filmmaker, director, cinematographer. I've been working in the film industry for like now, I guess now it's 36 years, but at the time, you know, um, almost 30 years, uh, working, directing uh, music videos and commercials and my own films, but basically working on a lot of, uh, Hollywood film sets. Uh, and they wanted, so they, they approached me about this film. In fact, at first it was sort of like, Oh, uh, did you know that Jimi Hendrix was indigenous and and um, and Richie Valens and all that? And it's kind of funny because one of my first 
feature-length scripts, there's a scene that I wrote where one of the main characters goes into a record store and and grabs a couple of albums, and one of the albums he grabs is uh, is uh, London Calling from the Clash and Link Ray's album that featured Rumble. So, <clears throat> it so they they had asked me, you know, what what do you think about making maybe a, I think initially they wanted to do a um, maybe a, a TV documentary like a thirty minute series. I'm not I don't remember that much from that, but then I remember saying, well, I think that should be a feature if ever if ever that comes comes to fruition you know uh, i'd love to be part of it and um, i think it went back and forth for months uh, between jim and and uh, and and um uh resolution pictures the company film company and then i got a call from uh catherine brainbridge and uh, wanting to know if i would be interested in in co-directing and co-writing and being a cinematographer and they also wanted someone with with real film experience because I, you know, I, I worked, I work in fiction, but I've also had done a bit of work on documentary as a cinematographer and directed my own films in fiction. So they wanted, you know, not just, um, uh, someone who worked solely on documentaries, but someone that had a vast knowledge of filmmaking, which is, which is what, uh, which is why I kind of came on the project. Hmm. Uh, how about you, Dave? Where'd you come in? <clears throat> Um, well, I, I'm a member of the Chickasaw Nation in Oklahoma, and um, Bill Maxwell. You know Bill, right, Alfonso? I do. Of course I do, yes. Yeah, yeah so Bill Maxwell, who, who who played with some of these acts, right, and was friends and knew a lot of these people, and his history goes way back. And he's mm-hmm. – I think there – yeah, there's an interview with him in the film, I think, a couple snippets, right? Um, anyway, he uh, reads, we, we Yeah, we, inter- we interviewed him, uh, and he's not in the uh, – in the final um, uh, edit, edit, but yeah. I think I think there's a web. There was a I think they launched some sort of web series or doc, you know, uh, mm. a set of uh, mm. interviews that did not make the final cut. Yeah, because I I remember I interviewed Bill in Los Angeles. He's a great yeah, person. Mm-hmm. so he reached. He knew a lot of the people in my tribe and were friends with him and had worked with him in the past. And he reached out to me um, because I was running the. Uh, the film department for the Chickasaw Nation at that time. And so I contacted Bill and he put me in touch with you guys. And at that point, I think you were, uh, they were looking for more money to help finish the film. And then they also needed help with the graphics and animation. So I volunteered to do that for your charge. Then I helped mm-hmm. raise, raise some money with my tribe to help uh, the finishing the final post-production of it. And then, uh, then I was in talks, you know, we were going to develop a limited series after that, and we were going to do several episodes centered, kind of expanding on the Rumble concept, you know, and, and doing centering more on each state in detail. Because Oklahoma, being Indian territory, there were 30 or 40 tribes there, so we had a really rich history of Native Americans right, and music. Yeah. And so I was yeah. working with that for a while, but that project fell through. It didn't come to fruition. <clears throat> but Alf, but um, Alfonso and I have stayed in contact over the years, and uh, I've always had the greatest respect for you know the work he did on the film. So do I, and we actually ended up working together when we did the you know the animation section because that that was put in in my lap, I, and uh, and then and then we got to work together. Yeah, and that was a really fun oh. creative process because it was a different Not style. <clears throat> I mean, the mm-hmm. animation style was really unique, and I think the the. You and I were both interested in making sure it wasn't obtrusive, that it enhanced the story, and that it um, carried the themes Absolutely. throughout. 
and we worked. Yeah, yeah. I, me- I remember that process. It was it was fun because, and and for me, it was a it was really nice working with you because one of my first films ever in film school was an animation film, and I've always had the greatest admiration for animators. And so, uh, when we when we sort of discussed what we could do and what we could bring to it, and I, I really enjoyed that sort of creative. Uh, back and forth that we had <clears throat> yeah because at that point the film um they had cut all the the basic segments together but these little vignettes that sort of kick off <clears throat> the little graphic and animation vignettes weren't really defined and so we, no it was it was no. fun to you know like you said we wanted to make sure we didn't disrupt the flow of the film and that we uh contributed to it and we worked with a native american artist too and i can't remember her name do you remember yes so i th- totally remember uh because I had brought this idea of putting animation together for for basically some of the childhood memories of some of these iconic indigenous artists that we were celebrating in the film. And Meki Ottawa, that's her name. Yeah. Great, great indigenous artist was actually at that time just kind of working in the office. And she, and I would see her like, um, you know, drawing all day and, in fact, her and I worked on the on the poster of the film um, of Rumble. But uh, in any case, she was the. Um, I worked with her closely, and then and then with David, we 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 sort of had our little team of three there. And uh, but she was the uh, the artist who um, who I worked with to uh, initiate the animation section of the film. Yeah, she developed like the, the the basic look, and then I took her elements and tried to bring them to life. Uh, so that was fun and you know i think it it, they integrate really nicely into the film and sort of add uh add their own little part to the story so absolutely yeah Yeah. uh we're on the phone by the way with alfonso Majorana, who is co-director and co-writer and cinematographer of the film rumble and david ranke is here in the studio with us uh an executive producer and animator for the film um let's talk a little bit about the experience of making it uh you were there right i mean you you were a participant in the conversations with a lot of these uh musicians and artists that you that are featured in the film is that right alfonso yes absolutely yeah i was you know i was um you know directing and and shooting and sometimes um asking the questions as well what Um, was so yeah i had i had a lot of great encounters with a lot of the artists that you see well, if that we you see on screen, if we can indulge in a little nostalgia, what was your what what were your some of your favorite you know well, conversations I, I would or say, people to meet? You know, one I've had a few. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the, mm-hmm. the the first ones because it's so meaningful in the film is my encounter with Pure Pure Faye. and I remember when we spoke briefly before I interviewed her in New York. Um, you know, we were talking about Charlie Patton and how much Charlie Patton was a huge influence. Uh, on her life, and we were going to meet in New York and interview her. It was also rambling Jack Elliott that we interviewed, who never made the film, but he, that that was early on. It was like I think the first year that we were filming, and I had this idea of bringing um, a portable record player with me because I wanted her to listen to uh, Charlie Patton and 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 live just tell us what she hears and and sort of bridge that connection of what, what was she listening to and what we, we, what we were listening to and why, why did she call that indigenous music, you know, which is a great, to me, one of the greatest uh, little uh, scenes in the film. I say little, but it's one of the most important ones because it really 
uh, you know, amplifies and yeah, legitimizes. Establishes you know, that connection from the, from the that indigenous yeah. point of view. From, exactly. And, and then, you know, uh, uh, there was a lot of great memories uh, filming. There was some, I mean, there was some entertaining stuff as well. For instance, you know, when we had to uh, interview uh, Martin Scorsese, at, initially when we made the call, I was put on the phone with his um, manager, a woman who's, who was Italian, and I, I speak Italian as well. And she said, you know, very, very calmly, well, you know, he's really interested. He's going to do it, but not in the next three years because he's working on a film with Liam Neeson you know, at the time. <laughs> so it was kind of funny. And But, you know, to his word, three years later, uh, in March of 2016, I believe, you know, I get a, uh, I'm, I'm told by uh, one of the producers at Resolution, I think it was Lisa Roth, who, who said, hey, you know, uh, we might be getting... Um, Martin Scorsese, you know, you should uh, speak to, um, to the manager. And, and lo and behold, it was yes. She said, okay, so Marty, Wednesday, 1 o'clock in New York, you know, <laughs> at, his, at, his, at his office, which is above the DGA Theater in, uh, in New York on the fifth floor. And I said, oh, great, you know. And, and that, But it was like, I think it was Monday, and, 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 and the interview was going to be on Wednesday. And throughout this time, I was in contact literally with Marky Ramon of the Ramones. You know, he, he lived in New York, but his daughter was in Florida and we would connect and he was always sort of brushing up on his link ray and indigenous history. He, he didn't want to make a, you know, he said, I don't want to make a fool of myself, Alfonso. I need, I need to brush up on my history. And so it went on for like a year and a half or something. So then I, when I got the okay from Marty's people, Martin Scorsese, I, I connected with uh, with um, Marky Ramon and I called him. And I said, "Hey, are you are you in New York or in Florida?" Because oftentimes he would be with his daughter in Florida. He said, "No, I'm in New York." I said, "Well, I'm going to be there on Wednesday, you know, interviewing Martin Scorsese at one o'clock. Would you be, you know, interested in in the interview now?" And he goes, "Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll be I'll be there for eight thirty or you know." And he and he did, and it was great, you know. So so and then you know. That sort of, uh, I thought, the passion and the admiration and the knowledge that they had and the respect that they had for, you know, Link Ray and Robbie Robertson, I thought, you know, came out well in the documentary. So that was like a real, you know, those are two legends in their own right, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, Scorsese, who spoke about Robbie and then spoke about, you know, Link Ray and, and this great, was a great sort of segue to it because he and I, I had asked him, you know, do you speak Italian? He goes, oh, a bit, you know. And uh, and I said, well, um, you know, um, did your mom, like my mom, uh, make you listen to, like, Elvis Presley Italian singers, you know, person, you know, there was a lot of those, those in the 50s and 60s. And he sort of said yes, and then he started talking, and then that led into, like, oh, yeah, my father would bring me all these 45-inch, you know, records of all these artists in Italy, and then one day he, he arrived in the kitchen and we were in the kitchen or living room. I don't remember. And he said, forget those, um, forget those 45 inch uh, records. Admittedly, you got to listen to this guy. His name is Link Ray and a song called Rumble. And he, mm. and he, and that's how, you know, so there was, it was very unique and it, it was, and it was great to sort of have people like that share, you know, the admiration and, and awareness of, of, you know, the contribution that people like Link Ray and, and Robbie did, you know, had for uh, popular music. And so 
you know, those are some of the memories. I mean, there's many. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting, that's... Rod. I mean, when you were making the film, Link Ray was still very much a cult figure. And then this, yep. there's, but there's a lot more awareness now. And he was actually inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame last year, right? And uh, uh, yeah, just this, yeah, just in November, I was there with <clears throat> Ray, his daughter, uh, for that night. I was really happy that he finally got the recognition. And Jimmy Page went on stage and played Rumble. Right, it was great. I, I was, I was, very yeah. eyed because it's, it's such a, you know, um, he would have been really proud of this of this movie, and. Um, and his daughter Beth is such a great person and great lady, and uh, I have so much respect for. Her. And and so it was, yeah, yeah. I think people now recognize, you know, his contribution. I mean, even people like the Black Keys, like Dan Auerbach in the film. Oh yeah. You know, you know he he's a huge fan. You know, when I when I went to Nashville and and um, met him, the first thing he did, he just he he showed me his Link Rake collection, which his dad had had started. You know, so. It's 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 amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, the, like you, the, know. you know, when the British invasion came over, you know, all these black bluesmen they'd been forgotten about, and they weren't. But Absolutely. the British guys knew about them and sort of revived their memories. But you know, the people like Link Ray were hardly ever discussed back then, and, and it seemed like he's just now that sort of thing is only now starting to really surface and become more mainstream. Uh, just how many people mm-hmm. he did influence, you know. Oh, no, it's true. Like, I, you know, when I was in New Orleans and speaking with Cyril Neville, you know, uh, like off camera and even on camera, you know, Link was a uh, was a brother to them. You know, they they did that song, you know, uh, Fire and Brimstone, which is, of course, a Link Ray song, and it propelled their career. You know, like they did the cover of that song, which is an, did an amazing cover. But the original is Link Ray and the Rayman, you know, with his brother and, and his brothers. And, and so, yeah, there's. You know, it's always like that. Musicians who really know the story and want to share it. You know, I think maybe that's the key is that maybe people, you know, maybe some of these musicians were never asked this question or were, or maybe they didn't think it was important. Uh, but well, I'm glad that people like, you know, Quincy Quincy Jones and, and, and all these other iconic people acknowledge and, and, and legitimize the fact that... Uh, that part of their music has there's it, it comes from their indigenous roots. And the same with Robbie, the same with Jimi Hendrix. You know, well, it's, I always, it's really important. I always go back to what Robbie said in the film. You know, be proud your his his family told him, be proud you're an Indian, but be careful who you tell. And I think you know exactly. a lot of the people, mm-hmm. the British guys or whatever, who were influenced, they didn't even know Link Ray was indigenous. No. Probably, probably at the time, it wasn't advertised. I mean, I'm indigenous, and my family. I didn't even know it until later in life, you know, until I was in my 40s because my family had buried that as well. It was uh, it was yeah. sort of not yeah. something you were proud of. Families didn't talk about if they had Indian blood uh, back in the you know 40s or 50s or 60s. It only became sort well, of hip later on, you know. You're so right, David, because when I was when uh, I was at Sundance with the film in 2017, I think it was the second or third screening of the film it was a. With, I know it was the biggest venue at Sundance. There are not that many big ones, but it was the biggest venue. It was full. The film went on. It, it received a standing ovation. And then, you know, the usual Q&A. Now, what I always did, because, I'm, you know, I always respected the fact that I am not indigenous, but I, but I, I always saw myself as a, as a mess, messenger of, 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 of the book, basically, and, and, and what we were trying to do. And I would always 
you're a brother from people. you're a brother from another mother. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I you know I grew up you know not not far from Mohawk Nation here in Montreal. So and I always had a you know kinship with that community because because of sports. Actually, sports I always used to play against or with sometimes you know. So but I remember being um, at that screening and then the Q and A and I always started the Q and A. You know where how many I did this in Canada as well. Uh, I didn't have the opportunity to, to do that as much for many other reasons uh, in the U.S. But at Sundance, I always asked how many, you know, how many people here are indigenous and would like to ask me questions first. You know, I always sort of gave them the. Um, I thought they always needed to ask the first questions. You know, and no, no, no disrespect to everyone else in the audience, but mm. so it, it so so that's what would happen sometimes, and, and sometimes I would invite them all on stage, and then share an experience that they might have had watching the film. But one, I remember two people that got up and one of them was this young girl from, I believe it was from uh, New Orleans or Oklahoma, I think maybe. And she was uh, half, you know, she, she, she got up and she said, you know, I'm so happy I've seen this film. She was kind of teary eyed and said, you know, um, my grandmother just recently died. Like really, I think it was like last week or the week before and on her deathbed, she said, um, you know, I've always wanted to tell you this, but, you know, uh, your family is Cherokee. And she was blown away because she saw her, she thought she was, you know, 100% African-American, that she only had African-American heritage, you know, but it was mixed. And, and so she was very proud of the film and all that. And then literally the next, like the next person got up and it was a couple. They both got up, and one of the guy, the individual who looked like he was in his early thirties, was crying in tears. And his wife or girlfriend spoke for him and said, "Listen, you know, this is um, this is um, you know, I just I'm going to speak for my boyfriend, who's who's from, you know, Dunn, North Carolina, which is where Link Ray's from, who's Shawnee as well, but has never told anybody because he was always told to not to say a word. So." It was the first time that he shared, outside of obviously his immediate family, I imagine, publicly that he was, you know, indigenous and that he was so proud. And he was a musician playing guitar. And then when he saw Link Ray, he was just blown away. You know, so those are those are some of the other highlights that I that I you know will always treasure about the, about the film, you know, and, um, and that I respect so much. Uh, and that would happen often when I was, in, you know, in Canada, when I was at, up, whether in Vancouver or Calgary or, or somewhere. I actually also in Pasadena I was at the, um, I was, um, I was invited to a, a private, a, a private college there, and it was some sort of day that celebrating, in, uh, you know, Indigenous culture, and the film was being screened, and so there was a lot of students that were uh, Indigenous taking film classes and all that, and I spoke, and so you know, uh, I think. I mean, there's many more, but those are some of the most uh, cherished ones I have. Yeah, the thing that really strikes me, you know, among, uh, because like I worked with a lot of tribes in Oklahoma, there's, like I said, there's 30 tribes or more in Oklahoma that were all sent there as part of the uh, Trail of Tears uh, during the Indian Mm -hmm. relocation period. So it was called Indian Territory. But I worked with, you know, a lot of the tribes, and a lot of those tribes, you know, they don't have written languages everything is a story that's passed down from one generation to the other so rumble is very much in that tradition of telling stories and preserving memories and i, I think that's really uh, probably its legacy the i'm i'm 
always amazed, you know, the people, because uh, the film came out, what, about, was it five years ago? Five in or six? It, it, yeah. it came out officially in 2017. Yeah, so it's seven or eight years now. But, uh, but you know, it, it still generates a lot of interest and in, in, uh, because it is sort of a natural storytelling format, and that's very much a Native American tradition of telling stories and that's how you pass down history that's how you pass down culture and legacy and so i think it's very very poignant to native americans to see that because it resonates with their uh oh i agree with you wholeheartedly because i know that you know um people uh, at resolution pictures you know whatever they've been making a lot of films for the last 20 30 years but i remember also sitting down with tim johnson and really picking his brain about about things like that about tradition and about um, about land and what how the story hopefully uh, can resonate in a way that's that's recognizable for the for the community you know and I, and I remember him I mean for me he's one of the one of the pillars of um, of the film in, in, in the sense that he is truly you know he's from six nations and so was Robbie and so was so was of course the author Brian white McLeod and, and and, you know, I can't say enough of that about that because without that book that Brian worked on nine years, basically, you know, researching, interviewing as many indigenous artists as possible and getting those stories, as you mentioned, David. And when you read the book, I highly recommend the book, which is now in the many universities here in, in Canada. I'm not sure in the U.S., but, but um, you know, it, it gives you a real base and a plate that I think the film... Uh, eventually, you know, developed into what what made the most sense: land, the storytelling, yeah, it, how it, the music, you know, how the music. It's, it stems from the land. And I remember Tim telling me that all the time. You know. And what was and, the name uh, of the book again for the audience? It's called yeah for the audience. It's called the Insight. Uh, let me just make sure that I have it right in front of me here, because uh, I always I always mention it and then I always make sure. yeah the in- Encyclopedia of Native Music. And the author is Brian Wright McLeod. Yeah, and it was a you know a lifetime work uh, that he did for I, I think nine years, and yeah, that these became are, the uh, these are pro- you know, passion became, projects, right? I mean, for these kind of people, because you know there there's no especially back then there's no money, and it's a very limited audience. No, but no, it's but you exactly. feel compelled. You feel compelled. You know, people feel compelled uh, to honor their ancestors, to honor their culture, to honor those stories. And to preserve them and to pass that knowledge down. You well, know? that's why he deserves he deserves a lot of credit as kind of the creator of this of this thesis. You know, like he he was wondering, well, this music, you know, where does it come from? You know, how you know whether it's Redbone or whether it's uh, Robbie Robertson, you know, incorporating his music in Martin Scorsese films. You know, <laughs> you know, like. I think Scorsese tells a great story where, you know, I think it's for Mean Street, I believe, you know, uh, originally the producer had this other person making the music and he and, and Robbie were roommates. And, uh, and I think then, you know, Martin, Martin Scorsese wanted, wanted uh, Robbie to, to do the music. And he, I think they picked the scene he, and he told the producer, can you just, can I, can I just have him score just one scene you know, and see, see if you like it. And he did, and of course, the entire thing, as, as Martin, Martin Scorsese was explaining, was he, you know he dipped into his his roots and and the and the and the sounds and, and all that 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 he could remember from 
from you know Six Nations Reserve, you know? and so <laughs> I think I think Martin Scorsese and the producer when he heard it he said, "Oh wow, this is great! It, it, it sounds exactly like New York." You know, <laughs> so I always I always found that like you know quite incredible, you know. But um, but yeah, I think uh, and again like you know that book that that created that Tim Johnson and Chris Turner created the exhibit at the Smithsonian. It's the pillar of the project. I think people should not forget that. You know, I don't think they get enough um, recognition for it. I know that every time I get interviewed, I I mention their name. Yeah, I'm sure they it, appreciate it, it. it. Yeah, it's you know, it's you know, much respect <laughs> to them. And as you know, there's not. It's kind of always disheartening if you do a lot of work on a project and then other people take credit for it. <laughs> oh yeah, well that's uh, that's the whole thing, you know, and uh, it's it's unfortunate and that happens a lot and. But I can tell you that uh, if you read the book, you know, or if you interview Brian Wright McLeod, which would be great, actually, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or Tim, jo- or, well, Brian for sure, you know, he, you know, he, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was like nine years of his life, you know, and that, you know, it's, and it's a passion project, as you said, because he had this idea, mm-hmm. and that be, and that idea then became a book, and then became an exhibit of where we belong at the Smithsonian. It's quite an incredible, you know, journey. And then it becomes, you know, the the biggest part of the research for the project is, is that book. Because, yeah. And that's, and that's really the, the problem, I think, you know, in both North America and Canada, I mean, United States and Canada, you know, that so much of the, the indigenous contributions and culture have been sort of erased and written out of the history I know, books. I know. And, uh, yeah. and more and more people are becoming more cognizant of that, you know, I mean, it's just like the euphemism. Oh, we settled this country. It's like, no, hmm. that wasn't settled. It was invaded in, in the original it was invaded. inhabitants. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, but it's just funny. You know, there's a much more awareness of that now. You know, you know, you know one of the things that I enjoyed doing because I mean, you know, uh, I'm, uh, you know, I know, I know the history that I know. You know, and, and funny enough, though, my 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 elementary school teacher was quite a visionary because she had these books about indigenous history that were not like white man's history. You know, it was, it was actually the story. And I was, I was, and I, we, I remember my high school friends or my elementary school friends that became high school friends. We always used to talk about that. This woman who brought these books, she was uh, Irish, but living in Wales or something like that. And it was an Irish Catholic school. And she had these books and we were like, wow, really? So, and it, you know, it was exactly that theory of like, no, they, you know, it was invaded. You know, they weren't. You know, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so, and and then you know, you you have that, and and so then you know, I would sometimes, well, a lot of the times when I was in the U.S. traveling, uh, shooting, and I would be in a coffee shop or a restaurant, and people were asking, "What are you doing here?" And I'm saying this and that, and then I would just remind them that the name of that city, <laughs> Illinois, or or you know, or Miami or Priora, you know, where does that come from? Like, yeah. You know, do you know that name? You know, I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, a, it's, a, it's a baby step. It's not the greatest thing because it's yeah. almost superficial. But, but then, you know, I would do my history and then I would say, well, yeah, well, this is what happened, you know, mm-hmm. you know, genocide in all of like Illinois. Yeah, <laughs> all those mm-hmm. names are derived from Native American names. So I'm just exactly. curious, uh, what have you been up to? What are you up to these days? You have any interesting projects going on or? 
Yeah, yeah, I'm just completing my uh, next uh, feature film uh, documentary on music again. And uh, you, you have found your niche, huh? Mm. No, actually, you know, I, 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 no, I, I was I was preparing to to go into fiction, which I, which is how I started. But actually, it's because of Rumble. I was I was I was in a I was in a um, uh, I was interviewing Cyril Neville, and there was a blackout. And during the blackout, he said to me, "Hey, you know, Alfonso, you should go to Peaches, which is the famous record store in New Orleans. You should go buy uh, you know, this album called the Guitar Album." You know, Link is on there. There's Jimi Hendrix. It's a compilation album. One came out in 73, and then the second one came out in 74. Yeah, I've it's got all that the greatest, record. Hmm. Yeah, it's all the greatest guitarists are there, you know, uh, Rory Gallagher and all this kind of stuff. I said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll go, you know. I went the next day, and I bought, and the 73 compilation was sold out, and then the 74 was, was there was, I think, of three or four albums left, so I... I took it, I looked at it, and I, I bought it. When I was looking at it, though, I saw, you know, the, I saw um, Eric Clapton's name, I saw uh, Rory Gallagher, T-Bone Walker, I saw uh, Link Ray, and then I saw Ellen McElwain. I'm like, wow. I mean, these are the huge, this is like 1974, this album. Like, huge names, male, all male, just, and then one woman. So I, I took the album to my hotel, and as I said, mentioned before, I was traveling the entire time with my portable record player, and I uh, I went straight to her to her song. I want to know who's this woman, you know, and and I fell upon this song, which was recorded live in 1972 or 73 at Carnegie Hall. It's called "We the People," and it's got an interesting story to it. And I listened to it; and it was instrumental with some scat singing that sounded like it was another language, which turned out to be like kind of Japanese, and it, I was blown away. I didn't know who this was, woman was, and uh, that was in 2014, and then 2018, Rumble comes out. It's in theaters, and I get an email in 2018, so the film has been out now a year, and the email was, hey, hi, my name is uh, Ellen. I just want to say it's about freaking time somebody makes a movie about indigenous contribution to music. I was really happy to see some of my old friends, and she says, you know, Eric and Link, and I was like, wow. So I answered back, you know. Yeah, that's the universe talking to you. <laughs> yeah, and I said, oh, thank you so much, you know. Uh, but it only said Ellen, you know. Are you are you a musician yourself, or you know, how, what's your connection to the industry? Oh, yeah, well, my name is uh, Ellen McElwain, and uh, I guess my claim to fame is that in 1966, I was in Greenwich, and Pat Sky and, and, um, and John Hammond Jr., and... Um, we're all there in the scene, and I was I got a gig at Cafe Agogo in 1966, and John Hammond Jr. and uh, Jimi Hendrix walked in, and I was and Jimmy was introduced to me, and he came up to me and said after he watched me play a bit, you know, sort of a warming up, and I guess, and uh, said, hey, can I sit in with you tonight? And he sat in for six consecutive nights, hmm. and and you know, I was like, you know, this. This white woman with red hair, with Jimi Hendrix on stage for six nights in a row. So then I, you know, I said, "Oh, I, I got to get to know this woman. What's her story?" And so that's what I'm working on. It's a great, more personal story. Yeah. Do you have a working uh, title or? Yeah, sure. It's called "Goddess of Slide: The Forgotten Story of Ellen McElwain." Okay, we'll be looking forward to seeing that in the theater soon. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I hope so. <laughs> and if we can help promote yeah, yeah. it here, just let us know. Yeah. I will. Yeah, I will let you, let you know. It's it, it's it's uh, it's a very 
touching story because, um, you know, halfway through the film, um, something something happens that's really unique. So, but in any mm. case, um, yeah. So that's it. <laughs> um, well, we're we're long. This was a longer conversation than I had planned on, but I didn't yeah. want to. Uh, yeah. But fascinating all the way through. So I didn't want to stop stop chatting or stop listening. Um, we kind of mentioned how things have changed. Uh, my, I guess it has now been seven years. We know that Link Ray is now in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, would you go look, looking back at what's changed over these last six, seven years, would you add anything new to the film or would, if you were making rumble part two, what didn't make the cut that you would put in, uh, today? Well, for sure. Immediately I can say, um, Rita Coolidge. Mm. We, we, we interviewed her. She's a two time Grammy award winner, an incredible lady, incredible singer, Influenced a lot of women, indigenous women, to sing. Uh, great songwriter. Uh, I'm still to to this day. I'm I'm, I'm saddened that uh, it never made it, and mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know don't know why. Um, I might know why, but um, it's just unfortunate because she was. Um, she definitely belonged there. She's an she was an elder. It was in 2000 and I can't remember when I filmed her in 2015. She was living in San Diego, and uh, just a, an an elegant and beautiful uh, soul. And uh, I'm very disappointed that she never made it um, on on screen because there's a bit of a lack of you know women on, on you know there's Buffy and there's 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 um, uh, Mildred Bailey. Mm-hmm. But I think I think definitely Rita Coolidge would have been, should have been there, you know. And then there's probably a lot of other artists as well. But um, I think she definitely deserved to be in the, in the film. But I, you know, these things happen, and, mm-hmm. and decisions are made, and all that. So yeah, yeah. Well, maybe you know, it'd be nice even on the website, you know, someday at least put her uh, her interviews up and things like that. You know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If, you know what? I I I, uh, I didn't pay attention that much if she ever made it to that. Good question. A good question because honestly, I think she deserves um, definitely deserves to be, you know, someone who celebrated. You know, uh, she has a unique story, and she was very good friends, of course, with Robbie Robertson and, and what was the name of the band? I think the the Ulali. But you know, she was she was. She, she worked with, with Leon Russell a lot too, and she uh, worked with Leon Russell. And I think she was on stage that same night that 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 Jesse Ed Davis for that whole um, uh, dogs and uh, what's it called um, the uh, that that sort of festival with Leon Russell and that concert that was um, the, uh, oh the concert George for Bangladesh, Harrison. yeah, yeah, yes, that's right. I mean that, so, that that's you know, been probably the most single most gratifying thing to me about the movie aside from Link Ray is Jesse Ed Davis who's was such oh a my phenomenal God, I love guy Jesse and influenced I love Jesse Ed so many people. I mean he and there again he was you know when they talk about Clapton's and Hendrix's and you know and Stevie Ray Vaughan's and stuff but Link Ray I think you know was just he was on a whole nother level and he influenced a lot of those people. He taught Dwayne Allman to play slide and things, you know, I, I love the story that Jackson Brown talks about him walking into the studio and just ripping off that solo for, you oh, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, yeah, and yeah. to this well, day, I mean, that's just one of the most iconic guitar solos ever. And it is so 
fits the song and so takes it to another level, you know? It's unbelievable, yeah. And I, it's one of my favorite uh, characters in the movie. And yeah. Taj, Taj Mahal, who, who's also going to be in my next film, you know, obviously his relationship with Jesse Ed is, yeah. is, off, is off the charts. But yeah, I mean, you know, Derek Trucks talks about him. And, oh, you, know, yeah. he, you know, he adores him, you know. Yeah, Jesse Ed's story is, is beautiful. And I, I, was in, I was in Oklahoma, in Norman, Oklahoma, for the... Um, one festival that I did make it <laughs> to, to the U.S. that I was, you know, permitted to go uh, was um, in Norman, Oklahoma. I think it was called The Crossing. I was with Catherine. Yeah, I was disinvited from that. We have our whole... Uh, yeah, Alfonso yeah. and I have some stories to tell someday. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Or, but, we, but it, it, was, it was amazing because his a lot of his family was, was there yeah, yeah. And, and i mean i'm talking like 20 to 30 people oh, cousins yeah. and uncles yeah and but... and all in all in tears and it was great and i remember inviting everybody on stage for the q a and 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 then i was struck by the height like everybody was tall men and women oh, yeah. <laughs> they were they were all very tall because he was tall yeah like Taj would tell me that you know i just yet was a tall tall man you know and but the the admiration and the and the uh, of that story that uh, it, it, it's one of my favorite stories in the film for sure. Yeah. You know, well, you and I probably need to story. team up and make another. Just go to Oklahoma because I mean I had started doing research on that, and there's you know just in Oklahoma there's probably enough material there for two or three more movies along these subjects. Oh, absolutely, lines. absolutely. I, I, I'd, I'd be delighted. I'd be just, delighted. You know? Just leaving the whole, uh, I mean, the whole Tulsa sound, right? I mean, not just the Native American, but like like you no, bring out Tulsa in the movie, sound, yeah. you know, the Native American influences are so blended in there, you can't really, you can't take them out. They're so interwoven between, you know, the, the black gospel, the soul, the Native American influences, you know, the country, all of that just blends together to make some really unique music, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that whole crew yeah. that came out of there, J.J. McHale uh, uh, and uh, Leon and yeah, everybody. Yeah, J.J. McHale, for sure. Yeah. Now, wasn't wasn't Bill Maxwell also? Yeah, yeah, he was an Oklahoma he played, guy. He played with Jesse Ed in his early, you know, yeah. early band that they had. Yeah, yeah, he and goes way back. Together, yeah. And he played with yeah. Leon and all those people. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, so he's amazing guitarist, amazing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one last, I mean, for, for listeners who haven't seen it yet, and I, I'm not sure how recently you guys have seen the movie, but any particular favorite moments or little hidden treasures that they should watch out for that actually did make the final cut of this this film? Uh, what's your favorite part of what's in the what's in the movie that's going to be played at the Panada on Friday night? Well, sometimes sometimes I like the you know the the um, um, there's like these gem scenes, and I think that the scene of of um, of uh, Pura Fey is one of my favorite because it's a catalyst of the film, you know, as well as the Link Ray moments. The Link Ray moments are, are fantastic. And mm-hmm. then there's other, you know, uh, moments where, you know, when you have some, uh, like, just like one-liners, you know, like uh, when you'll have some funny moments from from Iggy Pop, who's amazing. Mm-hmm. One, of my, one of my favorite interviews was with Iggy in Detroit that we, we did in he was performing the night before, and then the, the next day we filmed him in the hotel conference room. And and he basically, you'll see, his connection with Link Ray is, is spontaneous and really from the heart. It's just, I think it's one of my favorite 
you know, punchlines, I guess. <laughs> and, yeah. and the same, and the same with, uh, with, uh, with Marky Ramon. But there's a few of those. There's many, many little highlights like that. And, uh-huh. you know, and, and, and I think, um, people will enjoy some of those, some of those, um, moments. And, 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 and there's, there's others. There's so many, like oh. just the fact that, that My- people like Tony Bennett says, you know, I wanted to sing, you know, like, like Mildred Bailey. I mean, that's, yeah. that's huge. So my favorite moment is when Jackson's talking about Jackson Brown's talking about when uh, Link Ray came into the studio. He said he played him a song he wanted him to play on, and, and Jesse Ed Davis listened to it and he said, "Nah, what else you got?" Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great moment. That's a great moment. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. No, even, I don't think so. What yeah. else you got? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then then he plays him. I think it was Doctor My Eyes, right? And and then he said yeah, he just Doctor he My just Eyes. plugged in, did one take, and then left. You know, and I was and, yeah, the, yeah. and I'm a guitar and also, player. And also, and also <laughs> you 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 mentioned it earlier, David. Like the Robbie Robertson uh, tape oh, yeah. that you mentioned. You know. Yeah. That one. That one is also very key. You know, it's very key. Oh yeah, because it, it it tells you what every little kid or you know male or female growing up on the res was was thinking or had to think. Or oh yeah, that and how they mind, had that whole mindset. It's, they had to hide you know, under their beds when the KKK yeah, would yeah. come around. You know, yeah, that's Link Ray had to hide under the bed. See, there's so many true storytelling highlights that you know you you don't have. Yes, it's you know as. As myself, I also identify with stuff like that, you know, because I went through, there was racism growing up in my neighborhood. So there's always something that you can take upon, that you can connect, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, we're all, we're all um, created equal in a sense, but, but uh, I could relate to all those stories. Yeah, and then but, it's, it's mainly, and it's interesting to me, like, you know, how you're talking about how you, about when you're interviewing Neville, that leads you to another record, which leads you to another artist. And then somehow the, yep. out of this, all the people in the universe, that artist reaches out and contacts you, and that leads to your next project. And that's so much, I think, anybody who works in film and documentaries and telling stories and writing books, so much of that is, you know, people say, where did this come from? And some of it you can talk about, but some of it's just the universe putting it in front of you. Yeah, yeah. Those stories. I, you just. They want to be told. Those mm-hmm. stories yeah, yeah. want to be told, and that's the true art of uh, any filmmaker or, or writer, and even singers, you know, and songwriters. They're telling stories. So, that, and you know, you just yeah, you, you just reminded me of somebody else that I would have wished who was a huge, you know, artist, and that's Richie Haven. I mean, he's got oh, indigenous, yeah. you know, full on. Like I, I spoke to his daughter when I was doing this film because he and Ellen McElwain were very close, you know. Mm. Uh, and near, near the end, uh, when she got older and he would come to Canada, he would always go and play in her, her town and then she would own up, open up for him. The same with Odetta. So, you know, you're absolutely right. It leads to, you know, one song and she, she knew it. She knew Link Ray, uh, as well, Ellen. So there's, you know, it's funny that I, I, I pick up that, that guitar album and then, and it's from Link Ray to like Ellen McElwain, which is what I'm doing now. So, I owe a lot of, you know, I owe a lot to that as well. And then, you know, when she said she was so happy to see, you know, that story being told, and it was, it was great. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, like how I discovered my own Native American heritage. I was working in the film industry, and uh, Avid, who makes a lot of editing equipment, asked me if I'd do a demo session for a tribe up in Oklahoma, and I did, and that was the Chickasaws. 
And then they hired me to come up and help them build a studio and uh, create a department. And while I was there, you know, they were in, we were in Tishomingo, Oklahoma, which is a little town in the middle of Oklahoma. And I said, yeah, I used to come here all the time as a kid. My grandparents lived here. And they said, well, maybe you're Chickasaw. I said, no, I don't think so. But we went and looked on the Dawes Rolls. And sure enough, my grandmother and great-grandmother were on the Dawes Rolls. And it was like, they're like, oh, congratulations. You're a member of the tribe now. And I was like, well, I mean, how the hell does that work, you know? So I think, you know, life is like that. There's all these connections. And, and, and you know, if yeah. like that six degrees thing, you know, if you if you go Absolutely. look around, we're all connected to every living thing yeah. on the planet is by – you know, if you go out far enough and throw your net wide enough, you know. Uh, gentlemen, I'm sorry, I, I might have to go. Hey, me too. Uh, <laughs> we, I don't want to. I don't want to. No, wanna, we went way long. I could, I could go on talking to you guys forever. It's great. You know, yeah, I really, I really enjoy it. And, uh, no, we we should split. I'm really grateful. For this we'll time. we'll have you on another episode. Yeah. It, and especially when you get your new project done, let us know. We'll we'll, we'll do another interview. Yeah. Absolutely, I will. I will. Uh, I appreciate um, you know this whole. Um, um, connecting today, and yeah. I'm, I'm very happy. I'm, I'm and I, I, I hope people enjoy the film. I know they will, and I'm glad it's it's going on. Yeah, that's Alfonso Mayor Mayorana. I apologize for my butchering of the last name there. Uh, he's the co-director, co-writer, and cinematographer of the movie Rumble. Uh, David Renke was here in the studio as well, uh, and we are showing that movie free of charge uh, at the Panada Theater on Friday, January 26th at 7 p.m. Doors open at 6.30. Be there or be square. You don't want to miss this one. Um, That's a great. Thank you very much, Alfonso. We'll we'll let you go. You're very welcome. I'll yeah. be talking to you, brother. Okay. Talk thank to you, you later. Thank you, right. David. Nice talking to you again. Bye-bye. Uh, bye-bye. Bye.